Welcome to The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus. This show is about the stories, assumptions, and perspectives that either create or block our ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with those that are in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm a leadership coach and facilitator with a relentless curiosity for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of making their vision and purpose a reality. The goal is to bring you new insights, perspectives, and practices to help you lead authentically, navigate your career intentionally, and grow high-performing teams successfully. My hope is that in these episodes, you will witness humility, where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes. Curiosity, where we share wisdom and insights openly. And community, where we grow together. Let's explore the leadership mind. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Mind podcast. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus, and today I'm joined by Mike Forrester. Mike is a transformation coach. He works with men, and he has a podcast called Living Fearless Coach, uh, excuse me, Living Fearless Today is the name of his podcast, Living Fearless Today. And um, I'm excited to talk about um, what it really means to be living fearless today and, and how Mike kind of came to this realization and how that's transformed his life and how it's transforming the life of his clients. Mike, welcome. Thank you, my friend. I'm, I appreciate you inviting me to join you. Absolutely. Um, let's go in the way back machine. It, it's clear to me today that you are in a position where you're positively impacting the lives of your clients and that you have this, this mantra about seizing opportunities of the day and not letting fear get in the way. But when we go back to, you know, your upbringing, your childhood, like what were those kind of pivotal moments that, that set you on this path, maybe before you were even aware that this is where you were headed? Yeah, I definitely at that point did not know where I was headed. So um, the, the environment that I grew up in was, was one of the things that was the biggest struggle. And so my mom and dad were hurt and that was from their upbringing. But so often we pass that along, whether it's in our role as a parent or as a colleague, you know, all our relationships were, were bleeding out into them. And so as my parents were hurt, they were telling me, Hey, you're, you're a mistake. You know, it, it should have been phrased as we didn't plan for you to be born, but you know, dude, when you're a kid, like you're a mistake that doesn't sit well. And then you hear it enough time. You, What's your, that? Your parents actually said to you yes. that you being born was a mistake. Yeah. They, well, they were saying I was a mistake. They were intending that it was, yes, you being born was like unplanned, but the way they phrased it and presented it was that I was a mistake and that my, my birth, you know, the pregnancy was a mistake. It, it wasn't like, I'm not trying to demonize my parents. You know, it was one out of, out of ignorance, man. I'm straight out, you know, it just set a bad, it didn't sit well. You know, it didn't frame well for, for a child at that point. Yeah. Um, what was the story you told yourself after hearing that? Was well, if you take it and you compound it with the fact that like, you know, they were telling me I wasn't going to amount to anything. So, you know, there was that lack of disbelief, but then in school, I was also struggling to learn and I didn't know why that was, that was part of what compounded things is I wasn't fitting in at home and I wasn't fitting in at school. Well, you know, I was 40 years old when I found out I have dyslexia because of two of two of my four children, you know, being tested. And then it's like, well, you're the one that is kind of, you know, 
the reason why they have it because there is a genetic component. And, and I didn't know that. I just knew that I didn't like reading. I struggled with it. I wasn't as well-versed, like I struggled in English, you know, the writing, um, the reading and comprehension. I mean, it was, it was a repeating pattern in all my grades through school, you know, Hey, you're, you're great. You, you have amazing potential, but you're just not learning. And when you're looking to those in leadership and authority around you to know this stuff and guide you, if they don't understand it, then they can't, they can't help you. And that was kind of the situation in, in going through all the grades. Like I said, I was 40 and um, it wasn't until my own children were struggling and my wife was homeschooling them. And then she's going like, what's wrong with me? So I've got my children that are frustrated. My wife's breaking down and crying and I'm like, this isn't good. <laughs> so, so it wasn't until we went looking for solutions there that then it was like, oh, hey, we can work from this place. But the messages had been set in and anytime something negative would happen, like there was um, something that didn't work out, it just reinforced the beliefs that I had. And so you're not enough, you know, you're, you know, you'll not amount to anything. Those things gained strength as I went through and things weren't going in a positive direction. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was. And you had no framing until you were 40 of understanding that you had a learning difference. So so the fact that school was difficult and that um, reading was challenging and that you were struggling in these different areas, you had no understanding as to why. And so it just perpetuated the story of, well, I I must not be enough or I must not be smart enough because that's the data point that I have to hold on to. Right. I mean, it was one of those of, I'm not worthy. I'm a mistake. I won't amount, you know, those self-deprecating, like those negative messages of limitation were something I held onto. I mean, tightly because that's all that I had been told And then the way things occurred, I just looked to reinforce. And so, you know, it played out in, in the way I was personally, even in, you know, if we went out to like a bar or a restaurant, I was always looking for the strongest person to try and play to them. So I was a chameleon because I didn't believe I was enough. And so I was looking for that acceptance in those places, even something outside of work. But then when I went to work, it was like, hey, here's this job, dude, I would love this job. But, and it was always that but that came behind that was the restraint that, you know, chained me from applying because it's like, what if people discover that I don't have enough for this role? You know, like I'm not as good a developer because I came out of, out of IT. What if I fumble? And the belief that had been set by my parents was if you fail, that makes you a failure. Do none of us want to be a failure. We don't want that labeling. And so I was working under this, this shadow, like fear guided everything that I did because I was always hesitant of being shed in a negative light. You know, it's like none of us want to play to our weaknesses. We don't want to be, you know, found out as incompetent. And when you're always couching, you're playing small to that kind of stuff. I mean, it limits you. It's like trying to pull a bus, you know, (laughs) you don't run a race and win when you're pulling a bus. Yeah. So how did that show up? You were, you were playing small. You didn't take chances. 
I mean, what, like, what are some experiences that, um, that, that really brought this to light that, that something's got to change? So we could go into a meeting, you and I, right? If we're both on the same team and we're looking for a solution, if you presented a solution and I thought it was a good one, but I had a better one, I wouldn't share it for the fact of being afraid of being shamed, right? Being shown to be wrong. And so where I could contribute, I wouldn't. And in contributing, you know, that elevates us, right? That's almost like that that growth, that credibility that we're seeing, you know, we're seen as a valuable contributor and a member of our team. I wasn't participating in that way. So opportunities that would have come just by being present and active, those didn't come about. But then I was also self-disqualifying myself because of my fears. And so I was just like the wallflower at work, right? I was doing my work and I really wasn't doing my best because I was afraid if I stepped out and I was seen as, oh my gosh, you did an amazing job. Then the expectation is I'm always going to do an amazing job. And I didn't even see myself that way. So putting somebody in the position to expect that, that's dangerous. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it stopped me from participating and contributing, but it also stopped me from applying for opportunities, you know, lateral or you know, going up the chain, right? Um, so I was just kind of, I held myself back. Yeah, and it I bet it was exhausting too. To it is. The pressure, the governor on yourself and, you know, to always be limiting yourself is exhausting. Yeah, it, so, it, it, it is. I mean, because if you think about it, like you're, you're afraid, you're on guard, right? Anytime we're, we're walking down, you know, like a street and it's kind of, you know, suspect as far as the area we're in, we're raising like our adrenaline level. And so there's more energy on the outgo. When you're in a constant state of that, you're always giving and you're not replenishing because it's even impacting your sleep. Right. And so that was kind of one of the things like I'm working on re reclaiming my physical health because I was trying to give so much in just sacrificing my body in it. It's like, you know, Hey, you may get a call, you know, from halfway across the world at 3am. Okay. And so it almost became like a badge of honor, like an expectation that I would stay up and do the stuff that other people didn't want because there wasn't any question. There wasn't that competition. Um, and so where I accelerated that was safe also was detrimental to my health in the long term. So yeah. What's well, interesting before we started recording and we were just kind of having this, uh, this chat, you were talking about hiding, you know, and how you've been hiding in your career and hiding in your life, or at least you were before. And there's another example of hiding, you know, hiding in the, during the work hours when other people aren't around. So what was the catalytic event? What was, what was that catalyst for you that, that shifted your thinking that, that brought about, you know, not just living fearless today, but got you to recognize all of this, um, unnecessary stress and pressure and, and um, self-limiting beliefs that you had. I would love to say it was just like the birth of one of my children, <laughs> but <laughs> I was four children into it. You know, I'm, I've got three daughters and one son, and it wasn't until I started seeing 
how they were being impacted and admitting to myself, hey, if I'm saying I'm in control, I don't know that I don't trust other people to help out. And for me, asking questions was a weakness. I really had to get to like being way down the road, um, you know, just at a point of too much pain of continuing on from where I was to just saying, hey, things need to change. And so there were actually a couple of guys at work that were younger than me, which even compounded the fact because I'm like, oh my gosh, how do these guys have the life I want? But in asking them and then not expecting, you know, that worst case scenario that I'd played over and over in my head, it then created an ease in taking the next step and moving forward, you know, further on that. And so as I took more steps, I found out that it wasn't just me that was struggling with this kind of stuff because that was, you know, like the thought in, in the back of my head was nobody else is going to get this. And if I say anything about it, then they're going to see me as a fraud. I'll be isolated, ostracized, and even more alone. Nobody wants that. We want community, you know? And um, so my internal dialogue, my thoughts were really hypercritical. You know, what I would look at you and go, oh my gosh, you know, this happened and it was an accident. I wasn't giving myself that kind of grace. I was expecting perfection, which, you know, again, plays into that, that small, you know, small mindset and, and playing back, playing safe. But once I started taking those steps and I wasn't seeing like my worst case scenario play out, then it made it easier to continue taking the steps. Now that doesn't mean that it was easy because you're having to push into uncomfortable areas and really delve into stuff that you wanted to leave behind. Yeah. Um, Mike, let's get specific. What were the steps that you took? You said that you mm -hmm. asked these other, these coworkers, what were you asking them? What were you doing? So it started out really innocent. Like, Hey, how are you getting along with your wife? Like, how are you, how are you having a healthy relationship? I wasn't at all going, Hey, I'm admitting that I did this and this, you know, my wife and I had an argument. It was more of that. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> and so it By the was way, even to ask that question is, is a bold move because there is some um, admission that, um, that we can have conflict with our spouses or our, or our significant others. If you even bring up the question, right? Because you're admitting that yeah. it's possible. So, okay, go on. Yeah, I was trying to couch it, but I mean, there is that vulnerable, you know, component to it. And once I was asking, you know, like, hey, how are you treating your wife? What are you doing? Because their wives were in a happier place. Like when, when you're manipulating your family and, you know, trying to manipulate those closest to you, you will see through the facade. There's only so much you can act as if things are great. And when you're on the outside looking in, you know, at somebody else, you can pick up and see, Hey, this is a, a constant state of happiness. Um, you know, and they were also, I was seeing their wives when they weren't satisfied, which was something different than I was putting on to, to my wife. It was like, you always look happy if we're out in public because otherwise, you know, people are going to think there's a problem and there's not a problem, <laughs> you know? So it was very much um, asking what I felt were safe questions without putting myself out into too much of a, a vulnerable place. Um, 
but you know it's just a matter of asking questions if you're struggling like with how you feel look at guys around you that are you know in that place that you want to be ask them questions and and you can keep it as like safer questions you don't have to like divulge your life to them until you've built that trust and that was that was not intentional what I was doing at that time, but that was the way I went about it was building that trust in a handful of men. I don't need 800 guys. I just need a couple guys that I can trust and start sharing, you know, openly being transparent and doing it in a tiered method, like a gauged method. Hey, this, if it gets found out would be painful, but it's not a life sentence. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you, you started by just asking about their experience and what they were doing that was working for them. Yeah. And realizing that it wasn't a catastrophe and that there was trust there and that you could start to share. And then t- tell me about how this evolved. So it evolved from talking with those guys and, and talking to them about with how they were with their parents. And I realized at that point, they weren't having the same experiences like with their parents, their parents and their relationship was healthier, not perfect, but healthier. But I needed somebody that understood, Hey, you're coming out of a a childhood traumatic, you know, kind of environment where there was emotional abuse. And so there were other men that, you know, at the church, I was able to open up to and ask them. And they were older men that it, it wasn't like my peer group. And in that there was kind of also this safer feeling, like it wasn't going to be one of those of, Oh my gosh, all my friends know. And so in talking to him, I was like, this is what's gone on with my parents. My parents didn't understand boundaries. We've already, you know, talked about how they were hurt and, you know, we're passing along that hurt. Um, And I was able to share it and get responses back where, hey, yeah, I've gone through something similar to that. And this is what I've done. And them also then being honest with me, hey, the way you're going about this isn't the best way. What about this option? But they were also bringing bringing me to the point where they were asking me questions. You know, do you think this is the best way? What do you think your mom or dad will react when you do this? And then teaching me about stuff that I didn't have any awareness of, you know, I didn't learn about boundaries until one of my mentors told me about the book and then had me go through it and gave me an opportunity to practice where he was like, Hey, I'm going to come over at three o'clock. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 that doesn't work. He knew it wouldn't work, but he was giving me the opportunity to start saying no and to put up a boundary before I then implemented that with my parents, because at the time I was sacrificing my wife and my family um, to my parents in hoping for their approval, right. For their reconciliation to have that relationship that we want. And um, you know, so he gave me a safe place to test it out. It was almost like going to batting cages before the game. Yeah. Yeah. So you developed um, this recognition that boundaries were missing, started to put those in place in the relationship with your parents, recognized that trauma was their experience and then passed on to you. Mm-hmm. What were some of the other specific things that you were starting to put in place or, or learn and do um, 
they were starting to change your your way of being your way of seeing what was possible for you it it took a long time for this one to really settle in where it's like asking questions instead of assuming so i would come into a situation where it's like my wife has done you know something like maybe she she went shopping and you know like bought something that i didn't agree with instead of assuming and like oh my gosh you're trying to blow all our money or that was a frivolous decision why did you go and do that asking okay so is there a reason why we need this like what what you know what uh were you looking for in buying this and giving her that time to then communicate it that then carried over into work where i was asking for questions like okay what's what's our end goal with this project what are we looking to do can we pull in other people to help us with this project that would you know streamline this or help us you know gird up you know just the process um so it it played into both areas because it's like they're intertwined. I mean, wherever we go, whether it's work or home, we're the constant there. And so us being healthier then creates healthier opportunities in both areas. So asking questions was vital. Um, the other thing was, you know, just kind of um, not not putting myself at the place of being the fault, right? Removing like that hypercriticality we talked about earlier. Yeah. So if, if something went wrong, not automatically, you know, putting myself as the blame, but instead going, okay, was there something I should have done differently? So looking for a way to improve it instead of just defaulting to try and diffuse and take all the blame. And it was interesting because like I, I was conditioned to take the blame to try and keep relationships healthier. And that didn't prove to be the case because once I was stepping in and going, okay, let's look for a solution and I'm not trying to blame myself. It, it actually elevated the team because we're not placing blame. We're not looking to, to burn somebody. We're looking to what, what did we miss and how do we improve? And so that kind of, I can't, I wouldn't say I was creating a new culture, but it was the environment around me was, was creating different conversations that we were having as well. When you changed your story that I'm not enough, or I'm a failure, it started to change your experience in relationships with other people. What's fascinating to me is that this was all self-directed. This didn't come from going through some program or a particular experience, but that this was trial and error and through different relationships. And I would imagine a tremendous amount of introspection and, and curiosity and courage to continue to test out these new things and to ask these questions of the new people in your life. What was the, the transformational moment when you decided that you want to turn this into um, living fearless today and becoming a, a, a coach around transformation for men. So there was a lot of growth and processing that did go in, especially with like my family. So I had been manipulated, manipulative with my family, just as I had learned from my parents being manipulative with me. So it took time to build that trust um, because, you know, if you experience somebody repeatedly in a certain way, 
that expectation gets ingrained. And so whether it's at work, whether it's at home, that pattern has been set. And so after time of going, hey, yeah, my children now trust me, you know, like my wife was the first one to do it, but my children then trusted me. That was where, okay, I don't have to pass on this legacy because I started looking at my grandchildren coming along. I'm like, I don't want this to be what they inherit. That's not the heritage that I want. And I didn't want them then having the same experiences within school, within work, within their relationships. And so it was one of, okay, if I can save my children, we've now restored the relationships. My marriage, which was on the, on the verge of, of divorce, right? I was breaking it up. My children didn't trust me. And, you know, it's like, I look back and once I was an adult, I walked away from my parents. My children were still coming back and they wanted to hang out. So having those experiences and being in that place, I'm like, this works. Okay, wait a minute. If we're not passing this on, what kind of freedom, what kind of, of elevation can we start as like the generational pattern that goes forward? And I was already doing this stuff as I was going along within you know, the consulting, the IT consulting that I was doing. But it's not always understood within corporate, like our soft skills, you know, how we how we relate to one another and ourselves, because if you get us like a, a group that's a bunch of thoroughbreds, right? They're they're hungry and they're healthy and they're watching out for each other. There's no stopping a team like that. Now, if you've got people who are afraid of each other and are are stabbing each other in the back, there's no way that you're going to find success, um, even if it knocked on the door. And so it was one of those, you know. I ended up getting to a point and I'm like, this is really where I thrive. I love doing this. And I love seeing the impact that it's having on people. I looked at home. Specifically, like when you say, I love doing this, what is it specifically? So I'm an equipper. I'm an encourager. When you can help somebody get past the negative beliefs like that, that I'm still working through and, and lived under for so long, you know, it's, it's a growth thing, dude. Just like they talk about, it's an onion and you're always peeling back layers. There's still stuff I peel off and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't like cold waters because as a kid, the water heater was broken. And that was the only way we could really take a shower was in cold, you know, cold water or heating up a pot of water. And it was like, oh, this is why I'm struggling when I try and do the Wim Hof stuff, you know, <laughs> because yeah. it's taking me back there. Um, and so in helping other people to see that, and it's always easier to see outside instead of our own stuff, unless we're really being intentional and always being like a two-year-old going, why, 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 um, you know, in, in adopting that and, and being that person that's going, how can I help you? what's holding you back? Oh my gosh, you're two inches from the goal. Don't give up. Like you've worked so hard. That sets my heart on fire. Like I just become more energized off of that. And so that was really part of the catalyst. One, it's my passion. Two, it's going to change the world, whether it's a million people or it's five families. It doesn't matter because it's impacting not just today, but it impacts the generations yet to come, just as I've done with my own family. 
And so to be able to have that kind of an impact, that's where I was like, okay, we're done here. This is, <laughs> this is the direction I'm supposed to go. And, uh, you know, there's still stuff I'm working through, but the awesome thing is there's room to grow. It's not like I've capped out. So rather than playing small and being like, this is the best there is, I know that there is more yet to come and it's going to be even better. And this is just a rung on the ladder that's going up. There's always stuff to work through, you know, and the recognition, like that's the gift, Mm -hmm. like the recognition that there's always stuff to work through. And as long as you're always doing that, then you're always growing and improving. It doesn't end. I mean, no till it ends. Right. But until that last breath there, there is always more work to be done. And um, it sounds like your own internal work inspired you to, to see how it could benefit others. And I could not agree more that um, the positive impact of helping people change their patterns that are passed on from their parents to their kids changes the next generation. And um, I've experienced it myself. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Hoffman process from the Hoffman Institute, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's exactly what you're speaking to, Mike, which is this concept that we have patterns that are given to us from our parents knowingly and unknowingly. And we either adopt those patterns as they were demonstrated, or we adopt patterns that rebel against those. And our parents got it from theirs and their parents got it from theirs and so on. And it is the circle of life and it's the way that it goes. And so recognizing it allows you to come from a position of forgiveness to recognize that it wasn't intentional, um, that these things are passed on, but they did happen. And that we as individuals have the authority to change those patterns for ourselves, for our families, and and for the people that that are around us. I want to go back to something, you know, a little selfishly here. So I myself am dyslexic. I was diagnosed at maybe like age five. And having the recognition of it gave it a label, but I, I still struggled just as much as any other, you know, dyslexic student through school and, and have, uh, you know, I had challenges with that. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be struggling and to, to not even have a label or anything to peg it on. Um, how has being diagnosed or when you were diagnosed at 40, how has that changed things for you? Um, it, it didn't profoundly impact things at that point. Now I was going through the growth process. I mean, that was already the healing thing. It gave me a marker to say, oh, I can reflect back and understand why I was struggling in different stuff, but I can't change that situation. What I can do is then focus on what can I do to improve this? Now that I know this exists, what can I do to positively impact this to to make it so that it's not such a weakness or understand what the strength is from that. And so the interesting thing is that, you know, like I said, I have two of my four children that have dyslexia. One of them has it more mildly and also has like some other learning challenges that goes with it. Um, My son is then on the profound side, right? There's different gradients as far as how, how much it shows up. And he has all three. So he has dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia, but it, it provides something where you can then understand how do I work around this? Because if I took it and looked at it as a weakness or an excuse, guess what I'm passing on is, Hey, you're, you're flawed. 
this is an excuse. You don't have to do this. The thing that came about from that was that, like I said, my wife was homeschooling. Well, she then went and got the training to help them grow. And that helped me as well. She now, because I've healed, it created a space that was safe for her to rise to who she's called to be and where she's gifted. And that's actually what she does is dyslexia remediation. So she's helping you know, young students like you would have been at that time to overcome those things, to understand, Hey, I, I'm, I still will have dyslexia, but here are tools in a kit that I can use to work through this. And so if I had, if I had stayed in that place of hurt, of anger, of inadequacy, she never could have stepped in that direction. I would have been belittling and berating of my children, which would have, you know, just continued on that same belief pattern, but instead it's created a place where, yes, I have dyslexia, but I know that I am like the rock star when it comes to somebody moving. So if they're packing a U-Haul, I have spatial ability and gifting that not everybody else will. So I'll get more in that truck <laughs> than, than other folks would. So working to your strength and understanding, hey, this is not my area of gifting. You know, I, I do have dyslexia. So how can I get somebody either to help me and act in my stead or what tools can I use that will bolster, you know, like my effort, whether it's Grammarly or, you know, doing dictation. I mean, I, somebody else may be able to just write it out in word. I'm going to go grab my phone and, you know, put it in there and then trans, you know, transcribe it and then put that in there and work with Grammarly. So it's a little bit longer, but I still get the same level of success. It's just different. Yep. It's just different. Yeah. Are there other strengths that you have had all along that you were able to realize? Like these are dyslexic strengths because the, the problem, I mean, there's many problems, but the problem with even the label dyslexia is that it is, it is a diagnosis of a, of a disorder or something. And all it is, is a difference, yes. right? And the difference comes with certain strengths and weaknesses as all differences do. So once we get past this, this label that is, you know, um, defined by a deficiency as opposed to the definition of strength, you realize all of these strengths. I, I would imagine one, and it's what I, I see and I hear from you, Mike, is um, empathy and the ability to connect with other people and to, to listen beyond their words, but understand like the deeper meaning, which is so much of the work that you do. That's a strength of, of dyslexia. I'm curious what other strengths you have um, either found or have been able to champion more uh, over the last few years. Um, as far as the dyslexia, I mean, it, it gives you better empathy and compassion for others because it's like, while somebody else may not have dyslexia, it could be something else. You can still understand that struggle, that, that fight, right. And, and you're able to encourage them in a way that others may not, because they haven't walked through that, that struggle, that journey. Um, the other thing that came from it was, okay, now I do things differently. All right. I've been assigned this task and everybody's saying this isn't possible. What is possible? And to see things from an alternative perspective, you know, Hey, we can't code this in Java. 
there's a lot of other languages other than Java. What other language can we use? You know, or um, you know, we we can't get there by this route. Who who could help us? So you start looking for other resources, other ways to still be able to get to that goal, realizing that there's more than one way. So you almost become more resourceful and just have a different viewpoint um, to, to be able to invite others in to come and participate where that wouldn't have been something before. So um, the, the interesting thing outside of dyslexia, as I've healed, I've honestly figured out who I am. And so where I wouldn't have, have had conversations or approached people, like you and I probably would not have talked because again, I'm thinking I'm not worthy. I don't have that confidence level. I'm insecure. Well, now that I'm in a place of like, hey, I'm hold, I'm 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 healed. You and I now have great conversations. And I look at it as I'm more outgoing, but I found that I love to connect people. And that belief of, well, if I connect somebody and you know they rebuff me, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding it as personal. So I could introduce you to somebody and if they're not a good fit, they're not a good fit. That's your choice. You have that power, but it's, it's come about in discovering that I don't have to play small, that I can play into my strengths. What I'm gifted in is, you know, being a connector, being outgoing, um, just being talkative and encouraging. And I couldn't have found that stuff or played that role if I had been where I had uh, originally. If you hadn't done the work, if you hadn't actually, you know, been through the fire yourself. So tell me about um, living fearless today. Why and and how did that come about? Um, so it it comes about again, like you know, as far as man, seeing what my children are doing, that they're now in a place like tonight. I'm going out with one of my daughters to go see the Eternals, and I know all the reviews. I mean, don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> You're ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's not about the movie. She wants to go somewhere with me. Dude, who doesn't want their adult children to still come back and go, hey, dad, will, will you go to this with me? Or when you ask, hey, I saw this as playing. I know you love Marvel. Would you go see it with me? And it'd be a yeah to the point where they're like, hey, I've got the time. I remember this, you know, and it's on not just their calendar, but it's front of mind. Oh, who doesn't so cool. who doesn't want to experience that? You yeah. know, like that's not something I ever had with my parents. And to be able to have that and then look down the line, okay, if I'm setting this pattern and I'm experiencing this, great. Then this pattern is set for my grandchildren and they now have a different expectation. And you can only imagine if you're allowing your children to experience this that they're not going to want to run after it harder. So what you're setting the ground for is just the beginning. And so being able to experience this and know where I came from and envision where I'm going and still be present in the moment with what I'm experiencing now, dude, that's something I totally want to see other men experience because it's not like we're going into our families and going, I bequeath upon thee that you have permission to go and do X, Y, and Z. But as we have a healthy space around us. It's almost like a bubble. As we expand that bubble and play bigger, 
guess what happens to our wife and our children and our coworkers? I mean, if you think about it and you're on a team and you've got one team member who's positive and one who's always angry, which one helps the team grow and which one anchors, you know, and holds back the team? It's the one that's positive that's causing that team to grow forward and you want to have more team members of. Well, why not be that guy? Why not have that that life, that mindset, that heart that catapults your team, your family forward? That that is my passion. That's the drive in stepping out there and going, hey, these are the mistakes I've made. These are the mistakes I'm making. This is what I'm learning. That vulnerability comes from a place of wanting to build a bridge and paint a picture of hope to, you know, for other men to aspire to and not stay isolated and trapped because it's not just us. No, we're not alone. And I love what you just said about like, why not me? You know, I have a belief of abundance. We, we we all have the opportunity to show up that way. It is not, um, there's room for all of us to, to be at our best. Um, one last question for you, Mike, before I let you go, what are you doing to live fearlessly today? I am <laughs> continuing to like have men around me. Like even today, you and I had a conversation ahead of time where it's like, Hey, you're, you're not as easy to find as, as you might realize or want to be. Here's some thoughts and being open to receive that. Like before that would have been, oh, wait, you found a weakness. Like you found something that I'm not measuring up in. Dude, if I have my blinders on or I'm playing in a way that I'm not realizing is a weakness, I need other people that are strong enough in themselves to be able to come and say that, not to couch it, because if you couch it, it doesn't help me. So um, me appearing and presenting myself more visibly is you know, what you and I had talked about. And instead of going, what about this? You know, there's like I talked about, it's layers of onions or layers of an onion. You know, it's working through stuff and going, oh, crap. Yep. Okay. I have an opportunity to work on that. Let's go. And it doesn't mean it's easy, but I can't continue to elevate myself and grow if I don't tackle those things and see them as opportunities instead of, you know, a boat anchor holding me back or, you know, taking safe harbor and hiding. So, yeah. And to your credit, Mike, you know, when I mentioned that you took accountability and ownership and insight very quickly to say, actually, yeah, this is, this is bigger than what I thought. So thank you for that. Um, you are uh, a gift and a mentor to so many, and it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be able to talk with you today, to get your story out there more. Um, I know that people can find your podcast, uh, Living Fearlessly Today, um, where else can people find you and find out more about you? So if you're on any of the social media platforms, if you look for high coach, Mike, you'll find me there and that's high H I. And then, um, if you go to living fearless today, podcast.com, that'll take you over to highcoachmike.com, give you the podcast. And the reason for the podcast is just to help you and I find out that we're not alone. So just, just like, you know, uh, leadership mind is helping you to grow and realize you're not the only one on that journey. Same thing. So I, I would love to be a resource to help you, you know, grow just like Massimo here. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's the best places to get in touch with me. 
Awesome. All right, everybody, check out Mike if you're interested to learn more. Mike, thank you so much. Very much appreciated. My pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Leadership Mind. Remember, the mind is the connection between our being and doing, our intent and our actions. Make sure to visit our website, MassimoBacchus.com, where you can like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found the episode valuable, please rate the podcast on your preferred platform or share it with your community. Until next week, remember to lead with compassion, curiosity, and gratitude. Great leadership is a gift.